Prior to the final assault on the Alamo on the morning of March the 6th, 1836, Mexican General Antonio Lopez de Santana ordered that no prisoners be taken. All shall perish as traitors at the hands of the Mexican army. Question, did anyone survive the siege of the Alamo by the Mexican army that fateful morning and live to talk about it? Welcome to San Antonio, Texas. By an order of a Spanish Viceroy, on a beautiful Sunday morning, May the 1st, 1718, a friar by the name of Antonio de Olivares met with a governor, Martin de Alarcón, and about 30 families, including some Native Americans, for a small ceremony near a river, officiating the founding of a new Spanish mission by putting mud and straw together. They call this new mission San Antonio de Valero. And who would have imagined then that this single ceremonial act 300 years ago would set in motion the many local historical events that witnessed the long and gradual transformation of that inconsequential pile of straw and mud to become one of this country's most prominent metro centers, also known as Military City, the modern-day city of San Antonio. These are the accounts of the many visionary individuals who were proud to call this city their home who have become part of this city's colorful historical past and whose personal contributions many times assisted in advancing this Texas city into the future in a positive way. Welcome to San Antonio, Texas. Tricentennial City on a mission. for joining us again and welcome. My name is Gonzo and I'm your host. This is another historical and educational audio capsule in our series, San Antonio Tricentennial City on a Mission. Today's episode is titled, Alamo Survivors. When you think about the Alamo, you really don't think about survivors. And that's why I asked the question, did anyone survive the 13-day siege of the Alamo in early March of 1836? and live to talk about it. Before leaving Mexico City for Texas in the fall of 1835, Santa Ana had determined in his mind that, with respect to the Texian rebels, Mexico would take no prisoners. According to a decree by Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, it reads, all foreigners who might be caught under arms on Mexican soil should be treated as pirates and shot. So upon his arrival to San Antonio de Bejar, by his order, the Mexican army raised the red flag signifying no quarter or take no prisoners from the tower of the San Fernando Church, which, by the way, was visible from the Alamo at that time in history. And after the 13-day siege, Santa Ana's Mexican army did defeat and kill nearly all the roughly 200 Texans defending the Alamo, including the well-known leaders like Colonel Travis and Jim Bowie, the famous legendary frontiersman David Crockett, who was a volunteer from the great state of Tennessee. Some of them, mostly wounded defenders, were killed immediately after the battle. Those were the orders of one man. But there were people who did survive the attack on the Alamo at 6.30 in the morning on March the 6th, 1836. After the bloody battle was over, about 15 people on the Texian side remained. 
Now, some controversy and debate has surrounded the exact number and their identity, but most were wives, children, servants, and slaves whom the Alamo defenders had brought with them into the mission for safety after the Mexican army entered and occupied San Antonio de Bejar in February of 1836. And who were these 15 more or less survivors of the Battle of the Alamo? What did they personally witness? Their recollections had one thing in common. They were all chilling accounts of the events of that morning's attack. One of the survivors was Enrique Esparza, a young man about eight years old, also known as the boy at the Alamo. He was the son of Alamo defender Gregorio Esparza, and Gregorio was a Tejano fighting for freedom and independence. Enrique was there with his mother Anita, an older sister and three younger brothers, one baby in arms. Young Enrique remembers some of the other families there too. He remembers a Mrs. K. Berry and her sister. He also remembers a Mrs. Victoriana and a family of several girls. He remembers Juana Lozoya Melton, the wife of Elio Melton. And he also remembers Susanna Dickinson. Now, during the battle, Enrique was hiding in the dark, huddled with his family, and the following is from an article in the newspaper, San Antonio Light, 1902, and they quote Enrique. We could hear the Mexican officers shouting to the men to jump over, and the men were fighting so close to us that we could hear them strike each other. It was so dark that we couldn't see anything. And all the families that were in these quarters were just huddled up in the corners. My mother's children were near her. Finally, they began shooting through the dark into our room where we were. A boy who was wrapped in a blanket in the corner was shot and killed. The Mexicans fired into the room for at least 15 minutes, and it was a miracle. But none of us children were touched. Another survivor was Juana Navarro Alsberry, the adopted sister of Bowie's wife and the niece of Texian leader Jose Antonio Navarro. She survived the battle with her young son and her sister Gertrudis. Turns out that Juana's husband, Dr. Horace Alsberry, had left the fort in late February, likely in search of a safe place for his family. An interesting survivor of the battle was a young man by the name of Brigido Guerrero, a former Mexican soldier. Yes, a former Mexican soldier who fought with the defenders during the 13-day siege of the Alamo but apparently escaped death by convincing the Mexicans after the battle that he had been taken captive. That was quick thinking. A woman named Andrea Castañón Villanueva, better known as Madame Candelaria, later made a career of claiming to be a survivor of the Alamo. But many historians do not agree with her story and they don't believe that she was an actual Alamo survivor. These authorities don't list Madame Candelaria as a survivor of the Alamo, probably because her connection to the Alamo defenders is much more tenuous. Married to Candelario Villanueva, she became known as Madame Candelaria. She was known for her cooking and hospitality, and she worked out of a square building with a flat roof on Market Street, where she and her husband ran a party house, and where she was considered the presiding genius of the Fandango. That's a social event where the bows and the bells of San Antonio played and danced to the sweet strains of the orchestra and dined to the delicious dishes prepared by Senora Candelaria's own hand. This according to an article in the San Antonio Express, December 31, 1933. 
and also according to an article written by Paula Allen, MayaSay.com, 2011, she writes that other accounts place the Madame Candelaria's establishment closer to the Alamo, portraying them as innkeepers who got to know the Alamo defenders as customers before the siege. Madame Candelaria's memories often retold in her old age include seeing David Crockett playing his fiddle and wearing his, quote, peculiar cap. These are attributes that have been disputed by historians. But most important, she is supposed to have entered the Alamo compound during the siege to nurse Jim Bowie, who was seriously ill with a fever during the battle. In one of Albury's later accounts, she remembers seeing Madame Candelaria raise Bowie's head to give him water just before he was killed by the Mexican soldiers. Historians are in disagreement over her claim, but most believe that she was there, noting that Enrique Esparza said that she might have been one of the women at the Alamo and that he would not dispute her claim that she was present. Another Alamo survivor that is now currently being portrayed in movies of the Alamo was a man named Joe, just Joe, who had been William Travis's slave. Author Ron Jackson wrote this account about Joe at the Alamo in his article, In the Alamo's Shadow. Slavery was the only life known to Joe, who was born into bondage somewhere in the southern United States around the year 1813. Joe was sold in 1834 to William Barrett Travis, and it was by his side that he was thrust into one of the most heroic chapters in Texas history. Joe accompanied Travis to San Antonio de Bejar in February 1836 and into the Alamo. In that fateful early morning hours of March the 6th, the Mexican troops launched their final assault under a moonlit sky. One soldier in the Mexican ranks shouted, Viva Santana! Another cried, Viva la República! At that moment, Travis sprang from his cot, grabbing his double-barreled shotgun and sword. He called for Joe to take his gun and follow him. The two sprinted to the north wall through a maze of defenders scrambling to their positions. Joe heard Travis shout as he ran. Come on, boys! The Mexicans are upon us! And we'll defend hell! From the top of the north wall, Travis discharged a shotgun into a crowd of Russian Mexicans. Joe followed his master's example. But within seconds, a slug drilled Travis in his forehead, sending him sliding down an earthen embankment to his death. At that point, Joe promptly retreated into one of the rooms within the compound, and from a loophole, Joe fired his gun several more times amid the desperate hand-to-hand -hand combat that ensued. Horrific screams of the dead and dying echoed in his ears until all he heard was sporadic gunfire, but Joe was huddled in the corner. With the fighting all but over, Mexican troops began to search the vast compound room by room for any survivors. Are there any Negroes in here? A voice called out in broken English. Miraculously, Joe had survived the carnage. Joe stepped out from the darkness of his hiding place and replied, Yes, here is one. At that moment, two Mexican soldiers immediately lunged at Joe. One fired around into his side, and the other made a thrust with his bayonet, grazing the frightened slave. A Mexican captain named Marcos Barragan intervene at that moment and beat the soldiers away in an act that undoubtedly saved Joe's life. In February 1836, Susanna Dickinson 
was a young lady at the age of 21. She had a 15-month-old baby daughter. She was the wife of Alamo defender Almiron Dickinson, and she was a survivor of the Alamo. Susanna's husband, Almiron Dickinson, was a Texian patriot from the very beginning. Almiron was part of the old Gonzales 18, and Almiron was at the Battle of Gonzales, the Lexington of Texas, as part of the first artillery company of Texians, the come and take it battle that started the Texas Revolution. In February of 1836, Almiron and Susanna moved into the Alamo, even as the Mexican army was entering San Antonio de Bejar and lived there together for 13 days until a final assault when her husband, along with about 182 defenders, fell to the Mexican army. During the battle, Susanna hid in the dark with her daughter and most other non-combatants in the church secrecy for safety. She later mentioned that Davy Crockett stopped briefly in the chapel to pray before taking his assigned position for the battle. During the final assault, the Mexican soldiers breached the Alamo's outer walls, and as previously planned, most of the Texian defenders fell back to the barracks and the chapel. And it was during this moment that Almiron Dickinson briefly slipped from his post manning the cannon in the chapel to join his wife in the sacristy. There, he made his final statements. Great God, Sue, the Mexicans are inside the walls. If they spare you, save our child. Then he kissed her and returned to his cannon. Susanna would never see her husband alive again. Susanna was a witness to many horrible deaths. And although wounded by an errant gunshot to a right calf, she and Angelina would be spared. These are some of Susanna's recollections of that fateful morning on March the 6th, 1836. First of all, Susanna remembers that there weren't that many casualties before the final assault. She didn't recall how many though. Susanna also made mention of the legendary line in the sand incident where Colonel Travis gave the defenders the choice of staying or leaving. She says that did happen. She also remembers that at one point during the battle, a defender by the name of Walker, whom she knew ran in where she was hiding, being followed by Mexican soldiers, and there was killed in front of her. She remembers also seeing the body of Davy Crockett lying between the chapel and the barracks building. She remembers seeing his, quote, peculiar hat next to him. Susanna also remembers seeing the body of Jim Bowie with two dead Mexican soldiers lying next to him. Outside, she says that the Mexican soldiers found one lone Texian after the battle hiding. And when he was discovered, he begged for his life, but was bayoneted by several Mexican soldiers. She also mentioned that when she was discovered by the Mexican soldiers with bayonets pointed, one man intervened, and he said in English, If you want to live, follow me. She said that she thought he was a British mercenary by the name of Almonte, but he was in fact Coronel Juan Nepomuceno Almonte, who spoke perfect English, having been educated in New Orleans, Louisiana. She was then taken, along with all the other survivors, to the home of Don Ramon Musquiz, where she had lived before, and she said that from there she could see the pyres of the dead burning. The survivors were told that they would see Santana the next day, 
And when Susanna was finally brought before Santa Ana, Colonel Almonte was there. And after their meeting, Santa Ana was impressed with her and said that she was an intelligent and well-spoken woman. And for that, he had her identify all of the bodies of the main players of the Alamo defenders, including her own husband. Santa Ana decided not to kill or imprison Susanna. She was given instead $2 and a blanket with instructions to go to Gonzalez along with a servant who had been Almonte's cook to make sure she gets that done with a letter addressed to the leader of the Texian forces, General Sam Houston. And since she had an injury, she was given a horse to ride by General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. And upon arriving to Gonzalez, she met with Houston told him of the accounts of the Alamo, after which Houston ordered the retreat of the Texian army of about 400 and many citizens of Gonzales in what is now called the runaway scrape. In the final analysis, history remembers the Alamo, the deadly battle itself and the Mexican general's position of no quarter, de guayo, take no prisoners, death to all defenders, pirates and traitors. Yes, all of that did happen here in San Antonio. But history would also show you Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana as a man with humanity and civility when he chose not to kill slaves, women, and children. Incidentally, Santa Ana offered to adopt Susana's daughter, Angelina, give her a life that she could never have in Texas. But Susana declined. But you know what? History would not remember General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana as a caring man who spared women and children. His decision to raise the red flag at the Alamo and take no prisoners. And then, just three weeks later, his order to execute 300 Texians and Tejanos in cold blood on the streets of Goliad, including the execution of Texian Colonel James Fanning, all of that only helped to fuel the anger in the minds of Texians everywhere. And it was this anger and utter detest for General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana that strengthened the resolve of a smaller Texian army, which made a big difference in the outcome of the final battle of the Texas Revolution, the Battle of San Jacinto in April of 1836. On that day, it is said that fighting Texians could be heard shouting angrily and loudly during the battle. Remember Goliath! Remember the Alamo!